Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. This week we'll be looking at issue number 511, September the 10th, 1994, still pence. I wonder when they're going to put the price up. Uh, it's not very interesting, is it? But I'm just wondering when that's going to happen. So this week I have been considering, considering going to see Kiss at Download next year in 2022. I have looked at the lineup for the weekend and I'm, I'll be honest... I'm not that bothered about the rest of the bands on the weekend. There are some great bands playing. But for me, going to see Kiss, they've been doing their three or four year farewell tour now. Uh, I think, did they play Download the other year part of their family, as a part of their farewell tour? Oh no, they played the O2. Either way, they've been trying to do this farewell tour forever. Um, and I feel like if I don't go and see them now, this might be it. And they might actually hang it up. Um, a friend of mine was supposed to see them in Denver. Um, a friend of mine was supposed to see him in Chicago this weekend. He flew there from Denver and they cancelled because Gene Simmons had caught coronavirus from Paul Stanley, I think. Oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, I think he had a lovely time in Chicago anyway. Um, so yeah, kiss at download. I'm probably going to wait for the day tickets to become available and then I might consider it. Also, in uh, other kiss news, it's not really kiss news, but um, I remembered I was in... Um, where was I? I was in Miami a few years back uh, for, well, I was on holiday. I, I, I'd been to my friend's wedding, the same friend that had just um, gone to Chicago to see Kiss. I'd been to my friend's wedding, and because I hadn't had a summer holiday, I had to go to his wedding in Baltimore. I decided, uh, me and my partner then, we decided to go to Miami because, uh, you know, we wanted a bit of sun for a week. So my friend came with us on his honeymoon. So we didn't... Um, jump in on his honeymoon he jumped in on my holiday with his honeymoon um, but it was fine we had a we had a great time we had a really nice time while i was in miami there were tons of people walking around in kiss shirts and i was thinking to myself what is going on here so i looked it up and there's a kiss cruise so uh, once a year i think they do a cruise that leaves from miami and sails around the caribbean for five days and you can go and see kiss on this cruise and get to meet them i looked up tickets and they're about a thousand pounds each for a crappy um, cabin for five days. Don't know if that includes food and drinks, but either way, you'd have to fly to Miami, which probably isn't cheap. Actually, probably is quite cheap at the moment with a pandemic, but still, I don't know. The other thing, actually, it wasn't really the money that put me off. What put me off was being stuck on a boat in, in the Caribbean with a ton of Americans that potentially may all have coronavirus watching Kiss and then that boat could just be a travelling um, coronavirus uh, hub and yeah no thanks not not quite yet maybe in a year or two I'd consider it but no definitely not quite yet if you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang Back Issues we can be contacted uh, through Instagram on Kerrang Back Issues um, on Twitter at KerrangPod and through email at KerrangBackIssues at gmail.com. I put up a great advert on Instagram this week. Um, I think it was for, was it for Smash or for Come Out and Play? Either way, it was an Offspring advert. And in a really weird, um, like, advertising... I'm just going to find it, actually. A really weird, like, advertising piece. They used Beavis and Butthead as a quote, which I just found really, really odd as a sales pitch for for selling the record. Oh, here we are. So yeah, it was for for the Come Out and Play single. And on the advert, it says, these guys are really cool, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so strange. Such a weird way to flog a record. Anyway, this week's issue of Kerrang! The cover stars this week are The Almighty, I Hate Violence, 
Rape is evil, I could kill somebody. Ricky Warwick's Mouth Almighty. Plus, Nirvana, Kristen Dave on the new LP. Alice in Chains, Lane's new band revealed. Plus, Pantera, Biohazard, Body Count, Led Zeppelin, Queen's Rack, and Paradise Lost. Plus, full Reading Festival review and a free Metallica US tour wall chart. And Kurt Cobain, part one of this giant door poster. I'm pretty sure that Metallica wall chart ended up on my wall because I don't think I put that Kurt Cobain poster up. Anyway, let's begin with the cover quiz for this week. Cover star Ricky Warwick of the Almighty blasts back with a wrench next week. So here's five tenuous tool teasers. Who's Question one. Who's 1984 LP bore the sign of the hammer? Two. Name Nine Inch Nails latest album. Three. Which band cranked up the drill song for their 1991 LP? Four. What was the title of Tool's last album? And five. Which rock legend recorded the classic track She's Got The Jack? As always, answers to those questions will be at the end of this podcast. And starting this week with Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first, and Nirvana, Chris and Dave break the silence. Nirvana stars Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl have spoken out for the first time about the band's forthcoming live LP. Following an announcement that the proposed double live album has been trimmed down to a single LP, the two remaining members of the Seattle Superstar outfit took the unprecedented step of issuing a statement to newspapers and magazines across the world. It's the first time they've contacted the press since the suicide of singer Kurt Cobain in April. The record, due out through Geffen in November, will now comprise just the band's MTV Unplugged set. Plans to release a second disc of assorted live material have been postponed indefinitely. Explaining this shock U-turn, bassist Novoselic said, I first entered this project with an air of optimism and an overall good vibe, knowing that releasing the music would be the ultimate tribute to Kurt. I'm tired of all the perspectives and analysis of everything and want to remind everybody of the bottom line, the music. However, in the studio, things changed and the emotional aspect of it all threw us for a loop. The live record is going to happen, but not now. Add drummer Dave Grohl, it's been a tough week. But everyone at Geffen who's been working with us has been understanding and respectful of the decision. Stop Press and Pride and Glory have been kicked off America's Travelling Horde Hippie Festival for being too heavy. Blow, the new band put together by former Little Angels mainstays Bruce and Jimmy Dickinson, have lined up a series of low-key dates to precede their official debut gig at Manchester Boardwalk on September 19th. Blow play Godalming H's September 12th and 14th. London Old Kent Road, Thomas A. Beckett, 15th, Fulham Kingshead, 16th, Weybridge, Hand and Spear, 17th. And understand, the rising Southend hardcore mob will support Pantera on the first two dates of the Texan Stars' imminent UK tour. Alice in Chains singer Lane Staley has allegedly quit the band to form a new outfit. At the time of going to press, sources close to the band were unwilling to confirm rumours that Staley is officially out of Alice in Chains. However, Mayhem can exclusively reveal that Staley has been linked with a new band featuring his former Alice in Chains buddy and bass player Mike Starr. Starr quit Alice in Chains in early 1993 amid speculation concerning health problems. He then formed Sun Red Sun with New York-based guitarist Al Romano and ex-Black Sabbath Badland singer Ray Gillan. Sun Red Sun recorded one album prior to the tragic death of Gillan last year. As yet, the record remains unreleased, although a deal is said to be in the pipeline. Led Zeppelin, duo Robert Plant and Jimmy Page's highly touted MTV unleaded session is set for transmission in October. 
As revealed exclusively last week in Kerrang, as well as filming in Wales and Morocco, Plant and Page recorded two shows in London on August 25th and 26th at the LWT Studios in front of a select audience. They played a combination of acoustic and electric Z uh, classics for the MTV Spectacular. Absolute complete tangent here, but I've just remembered that on the weekend I saw a man walking around and he had an LWT t-shirt um, and it... I thought it was going to be an acronym for something else, but it just said LWT, London Weekend Television. I mean, brilliant t-shirt. Anyway, the unleaded session will be aired on MTV on Monday, October the 17th at 9pm and will be preceded by a half-hour Zeppelin rockumentary at 8.30, which will feature interviews with Plant and Page as well as performance footage from Nebworth in 79 and other legendary gigs. Wild Hearts bassist Danny will spend the next few weeks in a wheelchair after dislocating his knee while on stage at the Reading Festival. The Geordie four-stringer will remain in a chair on all of the band's forthcoming European support dates with suicidal tendencies. He is, however, expected to make a full recovery. Danny sustained a knee injury during Caffeine Bomb. The first song of the Wild Hearts is Saturday afternoon Reading slot. Thousands of baffled fans looked on as the bassist fell to the floor in agony, where he remained until he was picked up by the band's roadies. Said Wild Hearts tour manager Boomer, the medics came on and said that Danny's dislocated his knee, but he insisted that he wasn't going to come off, so he propped him up and left him to play. He was screaming at times while he was playing, probably because he ended up smacking himself in the leg again and popping his knee back in. He was treated on the tour bus after the gig and went back to the campsite to spend the night on a rather comfy airbed. More misery came after the show, when the Wild Hearts were threatened with legal action by festival organisers for being 10 decibels too loud. No further details are currently available. Tour news and Counting Crows, the acclaimed US rock band, have lined up their debut UK tour. They play Dublin, SFX November 3rd, Belfast, Mandela Hall 4th, Glasgow, Barrowland 6th, Newcastle City Hall 7th, Leeds Town and Country 8th, Manchester Academy 10th, Newport Centre 11th, Cambridge Corn Exchange 12th, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 14th, London Shepherds Bush Empire 15th. Roger Taylor, the legendary Queen drummer, plays London Shepherd's Bush Empire September the 15th. English Dogs have postponed gigs in Weymouth September the 7th and Windsor September the 9th. Record releases and Bon Jovi return this week with a brand new single. Entitled Always, it is only the second new BJ song to be recorded during the past two years. The other being the track Good Guys Don't Always Wear White, which appeared on the Cowboy Way soundtrack and is lifted from the New Jersey Superstars' forthcoming greatest hits album, Crossroad, The Best of Bon Jovi. Out through Phonogram on September 12th, always is available on a variety of formats. Sugar, the band put together by ex-Huskadoo vocalist-guitarist Bob Mould a couple of years ago, released their third album through creation this week. Ironically titled File Under Easy Listening Fuel, it has the following track listing, which I'm not going to read because you can get that if you need it. Fuel itself was awarded 4Ks in last week's Kerrang! and is a considerably more optimistic set than last year's bleak and blistering mini-album Beaster. Pantera follow up their imminent UK tour with a new single Planet Caravan out through East West on September 26th. The song, a cover of the Black Sabbath classic, is the third single to be lifted from the band's chart-topping latest LP Far Beyond Driven and will be available on two CDs and a limited edition 12-inch gatefold vinyl. Extra tracks on the various formats include The Badge, a cover of the Poison Idea tune, Cowboys from Hell and Heresy. Frontline Assembly released a new single, Millennium, through Roadrunner on September 19th. 
Fudge Tunnel released their third album through Earache on September the 19th entitled The Complicated Futility of Ignorance. In addition to this record, the band played Leeds Duchess October 10th, Leicester Princess Charlotte 11th and London Islington Powerhouse 12th. As we mentioned at the start of this um, episode, Offspring's new single Come Out and Play Keep Them Separated is now released through Epitaph on September the 19th. Earache Records have released a CD sampler featuring seven of their heaviest bands. Entitled Earplugged, the album is available at a special low price and features contributions from Carcass, Entombed, Napalm Death, Cathedral, amongst others. Natural Born Killers is the name of a new soundtrack album to a forthcoming Oliver Stone film of the same name, as well as contributions from Lard, Forkboy and L7 who contribute Bricks Are Heavy, album favourite shitlist, the LP also features three Nine Inch Nails tracks, two of them, Something I Can Never Have and A Warm Place, appeared on the band's debut album Pretty Hate Machine and this year's The Downward Spiral, respectively. Burn, however, is a brand new track that was given an airing at Nine Inch Nails' recent Woodstock 2 performance. Natural Born Killers is released through Interscope East West on September the 12th. Stabbing Westwood have put back the release of their new single Nothing to September the 19th. And Type of Negative have their band live album, The Origin of the Feces, re-released through Roadrunner on October 31st. Distributors refused to handle the album on its initial release in 1992 due to its offensive artwork, and consequently only a handful were sold on mail order. An extra track, a cover of Black Sabbath Paranoid, has been added to the new version which will incorporate new artwork. Type of Negative play London Camden Underworld on September 27th. Coast to Coast, and this week we are with Lisa Johnson in Los Angeles. The second stage at Lollapalooza has been full of surprises for concert goers across the nation. For example, the Flaming Lips were scheduled as surprise guests on the first of the festival's two-day stint in Dallas, but when a hurricane breezed through town, the torrential rain and thunderclaps put an end to their fantasy. Once the weather cleared up the following day, many fans expected to see the Flaming Lips, whose gear was halfway to Europe by then, when who should appear but the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes, indeed, the Pumpkins performed unannounced on the smaller second stage, a nine-song set of older songs and b-sides. Songs for diehards that the band just don't play live much anymore, like Siamese Dream Outtake, Hello Kitty Cat, Bury Me, The Darcy Sung Daydream from Gish, Frail and Bedazzled, Tristessa, and a cover of the Finn Lizzy classic Dancing in the Moonlight. Needless to say, the set was a summer highlight that rocked teenage America. And the band found the experience so enjoyable that they repeated it in San Francisco the next weekend. Hours before the hurricane and moments before their set, second stage act Shudder to Think had to rush guitarist Nathan Larson to the hospital for an operation on an infected finger. In true theatre tradition, the show must go on, and so it did. Without a guitarist, this left the set open for lots of surprises, including a guest appearance from Smashing Pumpkins' James Iyer. The least hush-hush of all the second stage surprises was the Atlanta appearance of local heroes, the Black Crows. All the previous day, regional radio had been announcing a surprise set, as well as a Crows surprise gig at a local club for 99 cents. The Crows played a seven-song set on the second stage, opening with two new tracks from next LP, Amorica, A Conspiracy and P25 London, followed by No Speak No Slave. Then came two more newies in Wiser Time and High Head Blues. The Crows closed with heavy hitters Morning Song and Remedy. The group, pictured in full Lollapalooza action on page 36, received a great reaction from the crowd but also got a dose of reality 
when the Beastie Boys hit the main stage and half the Crows' captive audience tore off to dance in the aisles to sabotage. While we're on the subject of the Beastie Boys and surprises, let's talk to San Francisco, where the Beasties and Posse jammed as the fucking Penguins on the much smaller third stage, generally designated for the sole use of spoken word artists. The combo grooved for about half an hour with Mike D on drums, Ad-Rock on guitar, MC Adam Yaunch on the double bass thing, plus the rest of their touring band are on bongos, keyboards and raps. The ever-exuberant Angelo Moore of Fishbone guested on sax, who entertained the crowd after the jam by reading his beautifully written spoken word pieces, which is published in two volumes of poetry. Returning home from performing at Woodstock 2 with uh, Porno for Pyros, Perry Farrell and guitarist Peter DiStefano dropped into Miami and also made an appearance on the much smaller spoken word stage. Farrell and DiStefano performed a short acoustic set that left many fans in tears. So moved were they with emotion at seeing the man himself. Cynical I may be, but even I got goosebumps along with the rest of them. Especially when Perry declared that love was back in and here to stay. Boredom often breeds creativity. Just ask L7, who peppered many performances with crazy antics, such as the Dallas reenactment of the assassination of JFK, including Parade, pink pillbox hats and exploding brains during their set. It wasn't enough to spice up just their own sets either. During one Green Day set, L7 paraded through the amphitheatre carrying signs which read Punk for Sale, Kaching Kaching, and Dollar. When uh, Green Day frontman Billy Joe spotted the procession coming his way, he could barely sing as he tried to contain his laughter. And just in case the audience hadn't been able to read the signs, L7 displayed them as they danced across the stage. They later wore the signs during their own set, only instead of ka-ching, ka-ching, bassist Jennifer Finch wore a grunge for rent sign. And um, when the big summer rock extravaganza is over, L7 will be touring the States with fellow grunge rockers the Melvins and Wall. Yippee. Next week, we're with Don K in New York. I feel that it would be remiss of me not to mention this small advertisement. It's not really an advertisement. Uh, in the corner of Coast to Coast this week, um, I believe this has been written due to a legal um, action. An apology, John Sloman. Neil Jeffries would like it to be known that his comments contained within the sleeve notes of the CD release of the Lone Star album, Lone Star, firing on all six, where it was claimed that the ex-Lone Star vocalist John Sloman had lost his nerve and declined to show up for a 1989 marquee gig were wholly inaccurate and completely untrue. Neil Jeffries would also like to take this opportunity to apologise to all those people who purchased the above-mentioned CD and who may have been misled by these bogus comments. Beaver, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! We now come to concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Biohazard, Clawfinger, Pitch Shifter and Scrap Iron Scientists. This is live at the Brixton Academy, London, Thursday, September the 1st. Reviewed by Morat. This gets electrocution out of five. Five out of five. Unannounced openers, scrap iron scientists sound like a poor man's bad brains. But then, their sound is so dismal that they could be outstanding underneath it all and you couldn't tell. Likewise, Pitch Shifter start off sounding terrible with no vocals and intermittent drums until they gradually build up close to their usual splendid barrage of rage. Frontman J.S. Clayton makes the most of this large stage, writhing and hollering like a day-release patient, while those familiar sinister images and Orwellian slogans flash on the screens at the sides. But to be honest, they need bolder images for bigger venues like this, or maybe bigger projectors. 
This is not a classic shifter or pig shafter as they are drunkenly referred to next to me set, but it's gratifying to see them getting decent supports at last and going down very well with someone else's audience. Clawfinger don't have enough notable material to make up a brilliant set, and there are massive nods in the direction of Faith No More, but that said, it's definitely time to eat humble pie. Having previously slagged this Swedish outfit into the ground, it has to be said that they have grown into a rather impressive band with even Wonderful World sounding decent this evening. Part of the problem I had with the finger is that while Nigger is an excellent song, they really do need to qualify it before launching straight in. They do this tonight with an anti-racist rant and somehow it makes the song okay to shout along to. And the truth, even if it does sound more American than a drive-by shooting, sounds superb. But few bands, even on a good night, can compare with the incredible power of Biohazard. Somehow, you just knew that there was going to be stage diving this evening. Even no one has got away with it at the academy before, and after what makes us tick, and shades of motherfucking grey, there's a brief altercation with the bouncers. Basically, it's Biohazard show, their biggest headline yet in the UK, and if they want motherfucking stage diving, then they'll have motherfucking stage diving. Thus... Tales from the Hard Side and everything thereafter is absolutely manic. Unfortunately, due to the stage diving, I missed at least four songs mid-set when my shoulder was dislocated as someone landed on it during a brilliant How It Is, but things are just as berserk when I get back in time to take some more punishment. After Love Denied, the chaotic end of the set is perhaps ill-chosen when the band have much better up their tattooed sleeves than other people's rap tunes, in this case, Cypress Hills, but otherwise, there's little to complain about. Biohazard have taken brutal hardcore to the masses and nothing can stop them now, motherfucker. The next album reviewed is Pantera and Prong, live at the Spectrum Philadelphia, Saturday, August the 20th, reviewed by Jason Arnop. This also gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. Pantera's Dimebag Daryl and Prong's Tommy Victor are the two deadliest riffers in modern metal, full stop. Tonight, when Victor stalks on stage with a guitar during Pantera's stomping walk, it's a fair assumption that the universe will cave in on itself. It's like Stallone and Schwarzenegger in the same film. The night's whole mood is one of party time union, given it's not only the last night of the US tour but also Dimebag's birthday. As Prong hamstring the innocent with enormous cuts like snap your fingers, snap your neck and another worldly device, members of Pantera are mischievously creeping here and there, singing the odd backing vocal and generally having a ball. It's a special set, closing with a few tunes from the fictional black metal combo Yeti. Phil Anselmo on drums, Victor on guitar and Prong drummer Ted Parsons on bass and vocals. Fun. Far beyond Dunnington, you might be forgiven for believing Pantera to be less intense than they truly are. That day, the band were a touch sloppy by their own standards, while Anselmo was hardly possessed of his usual gruff wit. Maybe a product of the environment, or maybe they just simply weren't good enough that day. Here, they fucking burn, opening with a caustic new level, the side barricades of this 16,000 seater venue come down, and hordes of fans shove their way past frustrated security guards to the center arena. Then, Use My Third Arm goes mad with a 12 bore, and it's like the whole place is the launch pad of the latest NASA shuttle. Pantera are now lashing out with far more stuff than they uh, from the Driven album than they did at Donington. Strength Beyond Strength, Becoming, Five Minutes Alone, A Riff from Frozen Rejection, and even Planet Caravan appear. There are also some amusing surprises. Aside from the aforementioned Victor-assisted walk, Pantera plays snippets from Sepultura's Refuse Resist, Prong's Unconditional, Biohazard's Tales from the Hard Side, and even Slayer's Rain in Blood. 
Then there's the surreal moment when a load of ping pong balls hit the stage and prong run around with hockey sticks. But it's a credit to Pantera that the set remains nails hard despite this tomfoolery. After the ping pong invasion for instance, they slam straight into fucking hostile. This is just the same band if anything with even tougher material. Metallica's maturity syndrome will never infect Pantera. The day their music stops ripping throats out and does the unforgiven is the day we should all take the pills. The next review is for Reading Festival, live at Rivermead Reading, Friday, August 26th and su to Sunday, August the 28th. The review team are made up of Paul Travers, Mike Peake and Claire Douse. Overall, the festival gets a high voltage out of 5, which is a 4 out of 5, beginning with Friday, main stage. As energetic and exciting festival opening acts go, the flaming lips were, well, not one at all. They gain a few whoops from the obligatory mad heads down the front, but elsewhere the muted reaction they receive seems more than appropriate for their lazy foot-dragging music. On record, quirky numbers like She Don't Use Jelly have their moments, but live they fail to ignite the start of a noticeably metal-free day. But the eyes of the world are understandably focused on Hole and their lead singer Courtney Love. The whole Kurt Cobain and then Kristen Pfaff a thing made for compulsive tragedy, and there is an air of ghoulish curiosity about the assembled masses, masses all pushing stage woods for a better view. Before Hole Come On, we played a so-so but never before heard demo featuring Courtney and her late husband Kurt, but that aside, Hole featuring new bassist Melissa Alfdemur, just get on and play. Live Through This is a better album by far than the sloppy pretty on the inside, but the live showing is still pretty ropey. Courtney's voice really breaks on the high notes, but then precision isn't a trait that's demanded of Hole. Noise and passion both are, and as everyone knew, the show was a minor triumph by the mere fact of its, uh, its existence. No one here expected any less than Courtney walking off with the honours. Second stage. It's a satanic Doors type thing apparently. Canadians the Tea Party pedal a dark trip of sullen guitars and crooning vocals and a singer even looks vaguely like Jim Morrison. It's easy to see where the comparisons have come from but the Tea Party do add their own slump. The end result is fine for listening to on headphones in the middle of the night but a little too gloomy and tedious for a festival Friday afternoon. Whether you enjoyed watching Deus or not would depend on the mood you were in uh, when you saw them. If you were feeling expansive and open-minded, you could well think that their experimental edge and sense of inventiveness bordered on the brilliant. And if not, you could file them with Primus under Anal Explorers. Next. Sebado are awkward, to say the least. They peel off near-perfect slabs of melody and power like Careful and Freed Pig, while um, acting as if they don't want you to like it. Singer Lou Barlow particularly is not happy about playing to so many people, but he will insist on writing these brilliant songs. Their show is certainly not a chummy one, but at the same time the edge of tension serves to make their performance infinitely more memorable. Saturday, Main Stage Best tackled, pissed with an ice cold beer and a couple of sizzling fajitas, Texan Terraway, the Reverend Horton Heat makes for an incongruous spectacle on a Saturday afternoon. But its fast food blend of country metal and heavy rock and roll is nothing if not palatable. And the Reverend and his hep stray cats ensure that the party spirits are lifted. And lifting spirits is surely what the Reverend does best. Twickenham Terror's senseless things have been knocking out their potent brand of pop punk since they were practically still in nappies. But it still bites just as hard. Although didn't they play here in almost the same position last year as well? Bassist Morgan is even wearing exactly the same outfit. Whatever, the thing set the mosh pit alight and turn in a punchy set of some familiar material. Too much kissing, homophobic arsehole along with a gob full of strong and heavier numbers. The best being something to miss from their upcoming new LP which can't come a moment too soon. Festival champions in the t-shirt stakes, 
Fuck you and fuck your tent. Bradford Bother Boys Terrorvision and their cartoon capery are far from a dead cert so high up on a distinctly unmetal bill. Northern charm and bad rhyming couplets, however, ensure an almost hysterical reaction, and within minutes, there's a crowd the size of Cornwall. American TV, Alice What's the Matter, Stop the Bus, and Middleman belted out in rapid succession are a perfect pop-tastic sucker punch to a sorely lacking Saturday afternoon. By the time the vision vandals bob out with a corking blast through my house, it's clear that the bubblegum bandits have triumphed again. Amidst much speculation as to their future, three quarters of the Manic Street Preachers hammer out a gutsy performance that suggests that whether they really want to be there or not, they're giving it that little bit extra. Ask around and you pretty much get the same response. They sound the same, but something's just missing with Richie James not being there. That doesn't say much for his musical contribution, but then no one has ever pretended he's a great guitarist anyway. Of the newer material, the latest singles motor in the same vein as Motown Junk. A new album, The Holy Bible, proves that the Manics still have a lot to offer beyond mere hype. Many people wouldn't mourn it if it happened, but the fact is, if the Manics do split, then Britain would have lost one of its most exciting rock bands. Second stage. Rock, rap, metal, funk. Mixing it up is hardly new anymore, but Shoot's groove do it uh, so well it's very hard to hold it against them. With fluid guitar work and a tight as fuck rhythm section, they're musically on solid ground. But where they really impress is with the twin vocalists rapping. Shoot's groove are the real thing and look set to become a moderately big noise. Superchunk, on the other hand, offer nerd rock armed with a sledgehammer. It's all buzzsaw guitars and huge great hooks, served up by a bunch of nondescript looking individuals. Epitaph style poppy punk rock is clearly poised to be the next big thing in 94, but Superchunk have already been doing this stuff for years. God, I'm pissed. What time is it? What day is it? Do compulsion normally look like gum? Is that a blob of sick on my shoe? In a blur of purple lights, the Irish quartet sound for all the world like a trillion other punk pop protagonists. Until they kickstart that mesmerising opening riff to Maul Monarchy, it's a killer. Preposterously named frontman Joseph Mary's bare feet on drawing pins dance adds greatly to the intensity of a finely honed set. Just a ticket for those of us wanting to end the night on a rock and rollicking high or something like that. Sunday, main stage. It's an unenviable position being up there at midday in front of a handful of hungover crusties. New Yorkers cop shoot cop turning a brave half hour of tuneful discord in biting winds which buffet their sound everywhere except out onto the crowd. Despite a crushing version of $10 bill, they fail to raise more than a muted reaction from the stock still mosh pit. To their obvious frustration, they and their stylishly bitter new album release deserve a lot more, but they'll never get it in Reading. And you couldn't imagine a more unlikely festival band than Stabbing Westwood. Live, their sophisticated take on electro metal is temperamental at best. The haunted strains of lies are rewarded with applause and torrential rain. The guitar sound disappears completely for several seconds, but unperturbed, Chris Hall introduces the excellent violent mood swings with a flourish. Sadly, that song and the rest of the set could more accurately be dubbed a violent volume swings. Jesus Lizard records are largely unlistenable and frontman David Yao cannot technically sing, but the noise they make is warped and dirty rock and blues that is compulsive in a live situation. New material from just released album Down is more of the raucous same, but it works. Unlike last year, Yao steals the show by leaping across the security's heads and rolling around in his own rabid audience. Later, he even displays his fan-bitten ass as a trophy. As Harry Enfield would say, that bloke's a nutter. Maybe it was the weather. Maybe it was yet another disgraceful sound mix. But Helmet seemed as uplifting and welcome as a crusty with designs on pissing in your sleeping bag. There's little doubt that they've ripped one of the best pages out of the hardcore manifesto. 
but as they peel off the highlights of Betty and meantime biscuits for smart unsung, wandering minds drift to more pressing matters like food and warmth. Paige Hamilton, literally the most unrecognisable man in metal, does his best to out-angst David Yell, who'd been on just before him. And while Helmet clearly do the business for the thousands down the front, the wandering masses look bored to tears. Unlike the surprisingly frenzied reaction when the Wild Hearts take to the stage, Caffeine Bomb roars in like an express train and Ginger and Co are clearly about to grab Redding by the scruff of the neck when disaster strikes. Bassist Danny collapses during the first song. Surrounded by roadies and first aiders, he gamely carries on playing before it's announced that he's dislocated his knee. He plays the rest of the set perched on a flight case in obvious agony and earns himself a well-deserved ovation as he's carried off at the end. This almost eclipses the band set which goes past at breakneck speed before the expected two-minute punk metal bursts. All the more reason why new guitarist Devon Townsend cod metal axe poses and unnecessary keyboard player Willie Dowling's poodle hair look so out of place. But they're a hit with the crowd. Stage front is just a massive blur of bobbing heads and flying hair. Top of the pops quite clearly beckons again. Smoothest performance of the day comes from the Afghan wigs, whose smooth talking frontman Greg Dully boasts the sharpest haircut of the weekend. Dully's gravel-throated vocals float over immaculately crafted numbers about what a bad idea it would be to roger him because his head's a mess, or something. His band are seamless and faceless, but Dully's such a compelling performer and so deceptively angry that he's got everyone in his hand the whole way. Watch them rise. Sensor, incredibly, nearly blow it by starting with their worst ever song, The Chorus Free Switch, a fitting advert if ever there was one for the immediate suffocation of all rap metal crossover bands. They haul themselves out of this mire with a searing states of mind and with the key, completing a double barreled blast from the band's fine stacked up album. It's obvious from the crowd's reaction that Sensor are the choice of a new mutant generation. Hey from Al Sayed, all bare chested and big pants, clouts it um, out while vocal partner Kirsten stalks the stage like a mad goat. The colossal eject is the anthem of festival girls from here to Jupiter. It's full metal packet thrust down your throat with the subtlety of a fist fuck. Henry Rollins' purpose in life is really to shout at people. As shouty people go, there is no one better. He shouted all the way through new LP weight, even the veins in his neck look like they're shouting. During his improvised rant through Liar, Henry tells us we're all jealous of the USA because they have the best music. He insults and provokes, but nobody really minds because Rollins' band spells God. After all, he somehow manages to combine being fierce and intense with being funny and entertaining, and in doing so, almost casually turns in one of the best performances of the weekend. Possibly, out of respect for the multitude of pissed off Soundgarden fans, or maybe just because they're so fucking cool, Therapy give their uh, Redding their heart, soul and spleen in a staggeringly exuberant display of unity. Heavy metal and quality footwear, bass boy boot king Michael McKeegan's perpetual smile is only dwarfed by frontman Andy Cairns' Wensleydale grin. Skinsman Fife Ewing shown in frighteningly impressive form on two huge video screens, sews it all up with a skill of a surgeon, and while ridiculously quiet, Therapy's set evokes a reaction that's little short of stunning. Whatever the secret is Andy and Michael's black suits and red shirts, or the breathtaking troublegum salvo of knives, screamager, unbeliever, and trigger inside, it's clear that the three gits from Ireland are thrusting their red in tackle into the faces of the faithful, as well as an army of new converts. By some way, best band so far. The Red Hot Chili Peppers can afford to be complacent because they don't really need England at all. In my neck of the woods, they're not best liked because it's rumoured that they once blew out a sold out gig to appear on top of the pops, and they didn't appear anyway because they weren't allowed to wear dresses. Tonight they put on a lazy show that touches the bases but doesn't seem possessed of much effort. Flea, as ever, is a rubber ball of energy but he probably bounces around in his sleep. 
Dave Navarro proves more than capable of stepping into his predecessor's shoes and Anthony Kiedis trills his R's and does everything expected of him. The problem is not that the Chili's are crap, by this stage they're incapable of being crap. They have the songs and the non-songs that have made them one of the biggest bands in the world and they're all trotted out in due course. It's just that there seems to be a spark missing, the feeling that they're into it as much as the people who've been waiting to see them. A potentially great gig was allowed to slip into merely a good one, and for more than a few people, Reading 94 ended on a distinct anti-climax. Second stage. Seattle Pretenders Candlebox give a surprisingly strong showing to the predominantly indie-orientated second stage crowd. They wisely play only five songs and it helps that their set starts just as a downpour does. But the tent is packed and the cheer that greets new single Far Behind must bode well for their future. They don't half need a second guitarist to flesh out those solos a bit though. San Diegans Dig on the other hand have no such problems. There are three guitarists up there wrenching out the band's perfectly crafted west coast rock and as they glide into the heart stopping belief and the ironic fuck you, the packed tent roars its approval. Yes, we're awash with the US college rock right now but Dig do it better than most. This time next year, they'll be on that main stage, no doubt. Communication now, and apart from the letter of the week, the metalers this week are really, really furious. Letter of the week begins, Just got back from the tribute to Phil Liner at Wolverhampton Civic Hall. Despite a few problems with the video screens not working and two guests not turning up, Gorham and Sykes, shame on you. It was one of the best gigs I've been to, and I've been to hundreds. Show off. Cover act Lizzie were truly brilliant, and seeing Bell, Downey, Wharton and Robbo on stage together was sheer heaven. Only one thing was missing, the late great Phil. How about making it an annual event, or failing that booking the Civic Hall for August 20th, 1999, Phil's 50th birthday. Bill Collins, Wednesfield. The event, as reported in Kerrang last issue, seems to have been a roaring success, so who knows what further plans are afoot, and this Kerrang prize should keep you happy till 1999. Editor. Is Morat thick? I'm referring to Kerrang 508 in his live review of Mucky Pup, Madball, Headlock and MOD. He says, and I quote, The set is solid, but unoriginal, cloning Agnostic Front too often. Doesn't he realise it is fucking Agnostic Front, apart from the bassist and the singer, and he is Roger Murray's brother. For fuck's sake, Morat, wake up. Satanic Goffreders, brown wire fronts from Bridgend. I'd like to comment on a number of ageist remarks that have appeared in recent issues. Do the writers of these letters think that there is some magical cutoff point where a metalhead suddenly becomes a Mantovani fan? Well, as an anything but sad 40-something, I'm pleased to say that there isn't. Let's stand up without our zimmer frames and be counted. Why should we have to feel sheepish about attending gigs or buying metal albums just because of our ages? Methuselah's sister. This letter is titled, An Ode to Metallica. I used to be a Metallica fan. I was crazy about this four-piece band. They made albums one, two, three and four. I would get my head down and hit the floor. Then one day, they made album number five. It was sad to see they'd become commercialised. Now they no longer seek and destroy or hit the lights. All they do is rip the fans off and see the sights. British fans don't matter anymore. When was the last time they did a tour? All they do now is play arenas and prop up bars. Don't forget where you came from, James, James Kirk, Jason and Lars. The Sandman from Oldham. Your coverage of Woodstock issue 509 was terrible. You didn't even print a picture of Aerosmith and you wrote that they'd had their day. If I was a guy writing this, you're probably in your 20s and ugly to boot. Jealous of Steven Tyler's looks, 
Sex appeal and energy, which you don't possess at your age. Aerosmith are all five extremely talented and good-looking. In fact, one of the greatest ever rock bands. I saw them at Donington. They were magic. You also never mentioned Santana, nor Crosby, Stills and Nash either, who also played both Woodstock 1 and 2. But they're probably past it, aren't they? I pity your lack of musical taste. The tattooed 46-year-old witch of Birmingham, who certainly hasn't finished having her day. Gagging for a shagging. Please, 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 could you print a picture of sex god Lee Markley of Terrorvision? I was too penniless to catch him at Donington this year, so I'd feel somewhat compensated to see his gorgeous face. Angie Stanford Lehope. Terrorvision seems to be the most shag-worthy band on the planet right now, judging by our post bag. So here's the luscious Lee, and he's uh, also for Kez of Inverness, editor. They've done it again. Soundgarden have pulled the plug on more live dates. Last time I travelled to Newport from Bristol, only to be told on the door that the show was off. Now, I read in Mayhem that the substitute shows are off as well. Come on, what's going on? Are they ever going to play these shows? Soundgarden are in serious danger of losing fans over this issue. Oh, uh, sorry, that's from Tony the Fat, Spoonman. I've just seen Paradise Lost live on Channel 4. They were so fucking brilliant. And that close-up of uh, Nick and Aaron with no tops on was so cool. It was worth it for me and anybody else out there who stayed up half the night into the morning watching Paradise Lost perform. Let's just hope now that Paradise Lost will be on the main stage at Dunnington next year. Paulette Ives, Gravesend. Oh, how right Paul Reeves was when he pointed out the similarities between Rain and Slayer in his review in issue 508. Both bands have four members, they both have a skinhead in the band, and uh, that's about it. To put it bluntly, Rain sound fuck all like Slayer, and if it wasn't for your pathetic comments about what they look like, I'd have bet you've reviewed them from the pizza shop next door to the marquee. A. Campbell, Seaton. You may laugh and mock my quest for true metal, but with my army of attack pants, I shall rid the world of force metal. A legion of true metal fans will rise like a phoenix from the ashes of the orgy of destruction. You have but a few weeks to change your ways, as the gods of real metal, Dark Mavis, will unleash a, f <laughs> unleash a frantic sonic onslaught. Never walk alone as my attack pants are everywhere. They will show no mercy. The mysterious pants man from Tiverton. A couple of uh, letters in the bag this week. Machine Head, Hit or Hype? I've just returned from the shops with perhaps the best slice of fresh I've heard in a long time. This album ranks as the best debut album to come out of the Bay Area. It even blows Kill 'em All into the weeds. The CD in question is of course Burn My Eyes by Machine Head. It even pisses all over more recent competition, as Don Katie quite rightly said. Let's hope they go on to bigger and better things and go on to be accepted by the masses. When they tour here soon, I hope, then Britain will surely be a nation on fire. Hector from Peebles. Over recent weeks, Machine Head have been receiving absolutely amazing press from your mag. Yes, Machine Head have created a pretty good debut album. Yes, Machine Head deserve recognition. But I haven't noticed other bands such as Life of Agony receiving such wonderful acclaim for their debut album, even though they are on the same record label. Are Machine Head filling a gap while Sepultura do another album? Or is it a case of not what you know, but who you know in the music press? I'm very puzzled. It is time Karen gave good overall press to all new bands and not just a chosen few. SW Huddersfield. Sean Curley's Metallica, for fuck's sake, get on with that sixth album. If it weren't for the forthcoming releases from Slayer, Obituary and Godflesh, I could be sending this letter from my padded cell in Broadmoor. Michael Bridge, Erdington. Karen 509, where the hell is Woodstock? The missing D, Hal Zoen.
Ill communication. The eight-page poster pull-out this week is eight pages of pin-up action. There is an Alice in Chains poster, Wild Hearts at Reading, Bon Jovi September 94, Black Crows Live at Lollapalooza, and Machine Head Metal Gods of 94 Burn Your Eyes. Pretty sure that Machine Head poster ended up on my wall. But like we said last week, these are just posters. It's not very exciting to talk about these in on a in a on a in a podcast. So let's move on to singles. Singles this week are reviewed by Razel, and the first single reviewed is Don't Say It's Over by Gun on AM. Blimey. The riff on this sounds like it was half inch swiped and stolen from a track by REO Speedwagon that was on a sounds freebie when you collected Token's metal album from years ago. Radio Kissy Kissy Rocker from the Wee Scots. Hmm, maybe they just didn't get their oats that morning and had to toss their cabers. Happy Shopper by the 60 Foot Dolls on Town Hill Records. Quirkily tough. The jam-like effort from this Gwent mob with distinctly Ian Hunter-esque Cockney lout vocalising, spirited he says affectionately. The next single is Wrench by this week's cover stars The Almighty on Chrysalis. Bone-crunching, mind-numbing, ice-squashing, vein-popping, fist-clenching. The Almighty ones are back on the growl. You uh, could fuck nice and slow to this critter. In fact, add groin grinding to that opening list of gratuitous metaphors. Offspring with their single Come Out and Play on Epitaph. This hard skatecore actor evidently doing great shape stateside. A quirky, not overtly or annoying rap groover with some way splendid embellishments putting it almost in a close on horrendous novelty record league. Kinda cool. Although I bet I'd hate it if it made the charts and I had to hear it on a regular basis. I mean, remember Ugly Kid Joe? Nope, don't force yourselves. Single of the week this week is Hammerhead with their single Evil Twin on Amphetamine Reptile. I got Ziltro details on this US trio, except that the members are called Stingray, Apollo and Vengeance. Now this baby cranks in hellish and gnarly before scoffing razor blades and shitting blood. Short, sharp, shock, rock with a dirtbag Scazzola riff worthy of my old lamented New York Raves Uncle Sam. Anyone can make noise. The art is in capturing the sonic substance and Hammerhead are indeed artists. We now move on to this week's cover stars. Don't mess with the almighty. The Brit Metal Yob's new album Crank is vicious. In your face aggro metal. Chris Watts, here's the hard line according to Ricky Warwick. If looks could kill, almighty frontman Ricky Warwick's face has just turned to pure thunder. Beside him, drummer Stumpy Monroe bristles belligerently. The innocent German Euro hack is skating on exceedingly thin ice. Finally, Ricky snaps. That's it, he growls quietly. Interview's over. But the bumbling reporter doesn't get it at all. It is just a question, he pleads. Fuck this shit, Ricky retorts. What the fuck has my haircut got to do with anything? Anybody who can't see past the fucking haircut is just a narrow-minded shithead. What the fuck does it matter? It's pathetic. Now fuck off. There's an awful silence. It's the third day of the Almighty's German press schedule. It has proved to be an exasperating experience. Writers are wheeled in and out on a conveyor belt. They ask stupid questions and get the same reply. If I have to answer one more question about the split with Polydor, says Stumpy, I think I'm going to kill someone. It is the first question of the day. For some reason, the Almighty's new record label presents a fascinating scenario for the German press. No one else except the band really gives a fuck. It's just a record label. So Stumpy and Ricky take it in turns to tell the story, over and over and over again. Ricky shakes his head as another babbling hack with a bad line in Python-esque humour is led away by a patient flunky with a ponytail. 
I don't know, he says. One journalist said the new record was less groove orientated than the last one. Is it? Fuck. He's a journalist, so what the fuck would he know about groove anyway? Ricky's handed a telephone for another in-depth discussion about the workings of his 28-year-old mind. Well, what happened with Polydor was, he talks with his head in his hands, his left leg twitching, his eyes flicking around the room. Stumby's making a monocle out of a magnifying glass. The phone interview is over in five minutes. Everybody yawns. The Almighty are not an easy interview. The endless repetition and constant diplomacy takes its toll after a while. Ricky is awkward and a little curt around prying strangers. Stumby does not suffer fools. They're both a little fed up with Germany, and Germany doesn't really understand the word of either of them are talking about. As one freelance hacket says, I just nod and smile and think of another question fast. It's hard work for everybody. Ricky Warwick is a bizarre contrast. It's like meeting a poet, bricky, romantic pit bull. As Alistair's flight heads for home, Ricky gazes down on Europe from 35,000 feet. I guess I'm dead conscious of growing up and getting older, he says. It's scary. I had such a brilliant time growing up, I was dead confused and all that, but it was still a brilliant time. Being in a band is definitely a good way of prolonging those teenage years. I'm uncomfortable about growing up and getting old. You see people around you getting old and it's scary. My old man's retired and he was such an active, hard-working guy on the farm. I think he's bored. He feels frustrated. It seems that so many people follow that path of going to school, going to church, going to work and then retiring at 60. And then they die and maybe go to this place called heaven. Is that all there is? There's got to be more than that. He fiddles with a fingernail. There's just got to be more than that. Crank is the Almighty's fourth studio album. The juiciest, noisiest, most knuckle-headed feast of bullish splatter metal since Motorhead's Ace of Spades. Crank is simply not fucking around. It's definitely the end of the beginning, says Ricky. It's also an album to bury the Almighty's cartoonish past. Everything, as Ricky recently discovered, was not quite so free and easy as he once thought. All was not wild and wonderful anymore. In the German interviews, he hedges around problems in his own private life. Problems that are really no one else's fucking business. Instead, these are lumped in with a split from Polydor and, more importantly, the end of the Almighty's relationship with manager Tommy T. Some of these emotions surface on, cr on Crank, in the obvious shape of welcome to defiance and sorry for nothing. So go figure. I don't regret any of our old songs, he says, because it was just naivety. I was just writing about getting drunk. I'd like to have uh, said more, but I held back too much. I don't care now if people think I'm an idiot. There's a lyric on the album which goes, Sometimes I'm scared to write what I really feel. I think I was back then. I don't know why. Maybe I was frightened to let it all out. This time I had to let everything out. Get it all off my chest. And so Crank becomes an exorcism. There's a line in the band's loving cover of Eddie and the Hot Rods, Do Anything You Want to Do, recorded for B-Sides alongside GBH's Gimme Fire and Stiff Little Finger State of Emergency, which sums it all up. I'm sure I must be someone, and now I'm going to find out who. Crank trawls through darker emotions than the laddish bravado of Full Force Loving Machine. It's a step forward from the music that inspired the team up at Sick and Wired Fanzine, an unofficial effort featuring the worst imaginable drawing of Ricky on the front cover playing a chainsaw. I definitely think that an attitude plays a big, big part in creating a classic record, says Ricky. Listen to ACDC's Highway to Hell. Apart from the songs, it's just total fucking attitude. It captures a moment in time. The vibe has got to be right. The feeling's got to be right but you've got to have the fucking songs as well. This time we all feel that the material has come across better than on the past three occasions. The lyrics are angry but positive. Before we were always looking at what else was going on and trying to please other people. This time we went to please ourselves for once. Are you really that ruthless? You once sat on Leeds Railway Station with Tommy T and a bottle of vodka and talked about forming the almighty. But, you know, how do you know what you want? I've known someone like Floyd forever.
The whole band genuinely cares about each other. We've worked really hard for this. We used to sit in Straven over a few beers, dreaming of going to Germany to do press interviews, right? We didn't want anyone around who was going to take that away from us. If someone isn't seeing things the way we are... It was a difficult decision on a personal level. It's hard knowing that Tommy had been a friend for six or seven years. The four of us sat down and decided it was the best thing to do at the time. As soon as we made the move to Sanctuary and Chrysalis, things just started fucking happening for us. We've still got a lot of the same guys working for us. Rona Waters still runs the almighty information service from a home in Strathhaven and their driver Doz came third in a roadie competition on the big breakfast last week. They've stood by us and will stand by them. And as far as the management is concerned, I consider Merck the new almighty manager a very good friend but the difference now is that i know we're talking business and when we're having a few drinks socially even if we'd split up six months after pint from tommy i still think it would have been for the best at the time crank ricky admits was also inspired by producer chris sheldon the almighty decided to use sheldon after hearing therapy's trouble gum set as a result ricky and andy cairns have bonded on bong i can sit and talk to andy all night ricky smiles with the same background we're the same age with the same taste in music you can hear something like Trouble Gum and it's so simple yet so brilliant. There was no bullshit whatsoever on that record. It was definitely an inspiring album for me when it came to writing Crank. Andy Cairns volunteered his services for one cut on the album, Jonestown Mind. However, his drunken attempt to record a dual guitar attack with almighty Axeman Pete Frazen failed miserably. In the morning we had to tell Andy that his guitar solo was absolute rubbish, Ricky laughs. Too many beers had flowed under the bridge. Chris Sheldon's wife was drafted into the studio sessions to record a monologue as an intro to United States of Apathy. Eileen can recite all 50 states of the USA in just 12 seconds. The song itself was inspired by the band's relatively futile American track last year. Anything and everything inspires me to write, says Ricky. You meet so many people. They tell you their experiences or you see something, hear something. I found a really good bookstore in San Francisco sending stuff like poetry fanzines. A lot of really interesting stuff like Henry Rollins in Early Black Flag. Do you believe in the darker side of the brain? I believe everybody's capable of killing somebody, he says, but it comes down to tolerance. You've got to learn to to um, tolerance and how to channel your aggression. I think that's the most important thing I ever learned from my old man. I hate violence. Violence is stupid and it sucks, but people will overstep the mark and then you've got to take action. Could you rape? No fucking way. I've far too much respect for women. Rape is the most evil thing that man can do. But if someone fucked in my family or someone I really cared for, then yes, I could probably kill. But I don't try to piss people off. I keep myself to myself and keep my feelings to myself unless I'm writing songs. The Almighty have grown up in the public. They've grown up from the crude Grebo fantasy of blood, fire and love into a band who will now include an information sheet on the impending criminal justice bill inside every copy of Crank. The bill is an infringement on every young person's freedom, Ricky says. This government is so out of touch. They're trying to shut down anything that's even slightly fun or naughty. The first time I took drugs was because it was naughty, not because I actually wanted to. The way we're heading is for a society without a personality. We've never gotten rid of Victorian values in this country. Are you world weary yet? Maybe. When you get to this age, you start to get cynical. You start to question everything. You can drive yourself insane wondering about all the shit out there. At 15 or 16, you just want to get on and enjoy yourself. When I was that age, I saw the Ramones and knew I just wanted to stand up there on stage and jump around. But you meet so many small-minded, ignorant, racist people who don't question anything. They exist in the UK, in Scotland, Ireland and the USA. They exist everywhere. The people who live in a bubble, if you don't do anything about anything, then you won't change anything. That's too easy. But surely at the end of the day, the Almighty is just a gang thing. Totally. It's four guys hanging out. It's the camaraderie. There's a song on the album called Way Beyond Belief. It's a song about opening your eyes and having a laugh. It's the crank version of Free and Easy. Fuck it, you know. Do what you gotta do and enjoy it. 
I've absolutely no problem with anybody working 9 to 5, but I just couldn't live like that. I always wanted to do something different. I suppose in a way those people who work 9 to 5 are the real heroes. They go out Friday night and get wrecked and then wake up on Monday morning and work their backsides off all week. The weekend is their release. This is it for me. It's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, every week of the year. I've given everything up for it and I don't even know why. I guess I just don't know what else to do. It means the whole world to me. Crank is a state of mind. From the opening smash of Ultraviolet to the blissed out feedback of Schizophrenic, it is an album that demands to be plugged into a million watts of power. Crank hurts. There's a car to meet Ricky at the airport and take him back to his flat in London's Crouchem. He's thinking of moving back to Belfast when he gets the time. In the morning he flies out to Tokyo with Pete Frazen for more questions about record labels and haircuts. It is terrifyingly banal. The Japanese record company are even made in that copies of Jamie Reed's artwork for Crank, the first sleeve he's designed since the Sex Pistols' Nevermind the Bollocks album, complete with a nose ring hooked into the Space Baby's wee willy. Ricky Warwick and the Almighty endure it all through gritted teeth. Ultimately, they know that there is more to Crank than ever before. A band cannot help but change, Ricky says. We're older as people and we've seen more. I don't know about older and wiser, but we're definitely older. A lot of the lyrics are directed at myself because I don't have any fucking answers. I could be totally fucking wrong. All I know for sure is that I'm searching as hard as anybody else to make myself happy. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. We now come to records, and for the first record reviewed this week, Kerrang have gone for the headline of Black Fucking Metal. The unreviewed is Born Dead by Body Count, reviewed by Paul Elliott. This gets 4Ks. Fuck Pantera. Fuck Slayer. Fuck Biohazard. This is the metal album of 1994. Body Counts in the motherfucking house. Caveat, if this was the album of 94, why did it only get 4Ks and not 5? Born Dead is the second album from the most dangerous band in the world. The band the President of the United States tried to break. George Bush failed. Body Count are unstoppable. Born Dead is raw power. Technically, Body Count are limited, but attitude is everything. There's no flash here, simply anger, muscle, and total conviction. Body Count's intensity can be terrifying. Check out Drive By, 86 seconds of white knuckle mania. Ice-T leading the charge with a roar of, you killed my fucking brother. The terror climaxes with the inevitable gunshot. Body Count are white middle-class America's worst nightmare. Four punks straight out of the riot-torn black ghetto of Los Angeles, South Central, with a record that's gonna simply blow away the Beavis and Butthead generation. Born Dead is one incendiary heavy metal album. Not every shot is a direct hit. Masters of Revenge is a dirge, while Body Count's cover of Hey Joe, the mellow blues lament popularised by Jimi Hendrix, is a little incongruous, not to mention ham-fisted. However, when Body Count hit the target, they're devastating. Body motherfucking count begins the album and gets right in your face. Police sirens howling over a chant and a pounding riff. Body motherfucking count. Born dead. Itself is six minutes of boiling rage, while street lobotomy is surely the killer metal cut of 94. On the latter, I sneers over a super bad riff. I like to smoke crack. I like to shoot smack. I like to fucking drink. Street lobotomy stinks of the desperation of the ghetto. I got some PCP, how about some LSD? I'm having lots of fun, might as well use a gun. On Born Dead, Ice's junk the sexism flaunted on the Body Count debut. Likewise, there's nothing here as explicitly anarchistic as the infamous Cop Killer. But still, this new album hits harder. Born Dead ain't perfect, but when Body Count really nail it down, their sheer fury is awesome. 
The next review is an album entitled Clumsy by Sam I Am. This review is by Paul Brannigan and this gets 4Ks. How did punk, the spiteful mutant offspring of Rotten and McLaren, come to be identified with a shower of skinny runts in Adidas tops in Britain in 94? Thankfully, the Yanks are currently spewing out tons of tuneful pop punk, the likes of Green Day and Bad Religion, causing pogoing and gobbing aplenty on the nation's alternative dance floors. If roaring melodies and uplifting blasts of six-string sizzle are your thing, Sam I Am will definitely squeeze your lemon. Remember those songs which build up cunningly then explode like Semtech-stuffed frogs into gigantic choruses? Sam I Am do, and they're willing to share them with you. Such generosity should not go unrewarded. There's much to admire on Clumsy, ranging from the Manic's riffing on Simca and the escalating surge of Cradle to the Velocity Valentine She's a Part of Me. It's straightforward, uncluttered and potent, with gorgeous harmonies sticking their tongues right down your throat, and there's genuine emotion mixed in with the muscle. Some I am understand life's complexities. Capsize captures the bittersweet nature of the crazy little thing called love with its I hate you still, yet I initiate you intro. Nice to know we don't have a monopoly on confusion. A refreshing burst of suburban yank core. The next review is for two albums by Poison Idea. The first one, The Early Years, gets 3Ks, and the second one, War of the Time, gets 4Ks. This review is by Morat. A slimish Jerry A and a large, rather than massive, pick champion back in the days when he was playing Tom Roberts on the sleeve of this first opus indicate the age of the material featured, and as has been pointed out on numerous occasions, Poison Idea got better as they got bigger. Back in the early 80s, the band were, it has to be said, simply making a racket. Furious punk rock that you probably had to see live to fully enjoy and that. When it first came out on vinyl in the form of Pick Your King and others, was badly produced and in places unlistenable. Bearing in mind that this is about the same period that Discharge were putting out the likes of Fight Back and Realities of War, the early years mostly shows musical integrity but little else. Though funnily enough, the odd classic like Give It Up remained in their life set until the bitter end. By 87, when War of the Time was originally released, the lineup had changed a couple of times with a notable addition of D Slayer Hippie on drums, and Poison Idea were growing into the awesome powerhouse that we knew and loved. War is still not a classic from start to finish like say Field of Darkness or Ian Mackay, but it has a ripping rendition of Motorhead, also featured on the early years, and the band were obviously developing more of their own style with the likes of Romantic Self Destruction and Typical, again featured on the early years. Your money is far better spent on War, but alas, I'm the kind of nerd who will buy everything by Poison Idea, so presumably I'm not the best person to ask. If nothing else, at least you know they'll waste the royalties on dangerously potent alcohol. Next review is for the band Sebado with their album Bake Sale, reviewed by Phil Alexander. This gets 4Ks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sebado speckhead Lou Barlow once hung his bass with slacker Supernauts Dinosaur Jr. And yeah, Sebado were one of Kurt Cobain's fave combos. Sure, the likes of Kisses, Neil, Gene Simmons and Neil Young have both been heard on Witter on and endlessly about the recalcitrant rocksters. But faced with Sebado's fifth album, all this is irrelevant. Bake Sale, you see, is a pure song thing. Kind of like Sugar colliding with R.E.M. on with Cobain's riftastic tendencies. It's grand and effectively above comparison due to its simplicity and emotive power. Bake Sale is the East Coast Freesome's most complete offering, a 15-track collage of naked honesty. Open a license to confuse Stitcher with an irresistible spiralling riff. Skull is the consumer indie rock pocket anthem. Give Up, a fierce sludge ride. The string kiss dreams is full of the raw emotion that makes Sebado so darn addictive. The deeper you get into Bake Sale, the scarier the reflections it throws up get. A beguiling but tough cookie indeed. 
The last album review this week is Without a Sound by Dinosaur Jr. Reviewed by Chris Watts, this gets two Ks. As miserable fucks go, Jay Maskis ranks along Screaming Trees' Mark Lanigan. Except that Lanigan can write a tune to melt an ice cube, and Maskis can only talk about golf. As the doyen of every floppy fringe first year university student, Jay Maskis is responsible for all that is average and plain pedestrian. He's a slacker god. Occasionally he shambles into work, his guitar wired for a million fuss pedals, and his bitter irony wrapped up in precious tissue thin melodies. He's up his ass. Without a sound, on a big label with lots of cash and still they can't get Maskis out of this mundane rut. It's scrappy and serrated. Read his interviews and it is all ashore anyway. Man. If the best he can deliver is the shattered sonics of Over My Shoulder and Yeah Right, this little project seems doomed and dated. Mudhoney tried hard to reinvent Maskis' grumpy call and said everything they ever had to say on Touch Me I'm Sick. Dinosaur Jr. said it all on Green Mind back in 91. Three years later, Maskis is still squeezing out songs for students who can't get a shag. Feedback and fed up. Charts now and the number one single this week, Pretend Best Friend by Terrorvision. The number one album, Thirsty Work by Status Quo. And number one in the indie metal charts is Burn My Eyes by Machine Head. Readers chart. This week, Rose Tattoo Obsessed fan John Shearer from Partick. Uh, number one in... Uh, John's chart is one of the boys, Rose Tattoo. Two, it's only rock and roll, but I like it, the Rolling Stones. Three, Liar Queen. Four, Turn It Down the Sweet. Five, Tramp Rose Tattoo. Six, Rock City by Riot. Seven, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll ACDC. Eight, Bad Boy for Love, Rose Tattoo. Nine, Won't Get Fooled Again, The Who. And ten, The Butcher and Fast Eddie by Rose Tattoo. Star Tracks this week, Mike Tramp of Freak of Nature gathers up his top five sounds for this week. Number one, Sleeps With Angels, Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Two, Live and Dangerous, Finn Lizzy. Three, Unreleased, Bang Tango, a Music for Nations advanced tape. Four, Seal by Seal. And five, Burn by Deep Purple. Next week in Kerrang! on sale, September the 14th. Pantera, Beer, Money, Dope. Black Metal, Life According to Phil Anselmo. Plus, a cast of thousands, including Stone Temple Pilots, Freak of Nature, Gilby Clark, Kiss, Twisted Sister, Madball, Fudge Tunnel, Bon Jovi, Offspring, and Queensrack. The answers for the cover quiz. Uh, question one was whose 1984 LP bore the sign of the hammer? The answer was Man of War. Two, name Nine Inch Nails' latest album. The answer there is The Downward Spiral. Three, which band cranked up the drill song for their 1991 LP? The answer is Mr. Big. And four, what was the title of Tool's last album? The answer was Undertow. And five, which rock legend recorded the classic track She's Got the Jack? The answer there was ACDC. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Music, then please go over there and do that. You don't even have to leave us an actual review, just give us five stars, or one star, or five stars, or four stars, however many you want to give, whatever you think this podcast deserves. I uh, hope you're all doing well out there and yeah, uh, we'll be back next week as usual. So talk to you all soon and have a great week. All right, see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.